Good song as we uh, welcome in Grant Fuhrer to the big program, our uh, Tuesday morning co-host from 9 to 11, live from Coachella Valley. Morning, Fiercy. How's it going, big guy? I'm doing well. You? Great. How was the weekend? What did you do? What did you get up to? I managed to sneak out, get a little bit of golf in. So we're in a nice, cool spell now. We're down to about the mid-90s. Oh, only the mid-90s. Oh, you know, uh, you know, Grant. They have the this afternoon in, is the Barry Cates Memorial Media Golf Tournament with the Oilers, the Oilers coaching staff, and and uh, you know, you know, uh, management. They all put it on. It's a great time. It's at the Glendale this afternoon. So if you can catch a flight after the show, you could probably get here in time to tee off. You're a media now, right? I wish I could catch a flight that quick. <laughs> well, I'm sure someone could send a jet for you. I mean, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe Daryl could send the, if he, you, you know what? You could be probably the headliner of the tournament. It could be a lot of fun. Although, you know, obviously, you know, Dustin Schwartz, he's a great golfer. You know what? I've never played with him, but I've heard he's a good player. Last year, he uh, shot lights out and his group won the tournament going. It wasn't even close. So. I'm sure he's... Nice goal. He's supposed to be good. Well, again, the goalies, what are they? They got nothing to do in the summer, right? They're just, you know, they're hitting the links, right? It works for me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so you had the... I mean, you were talking about you had a little injection, so everything's okay with uh, your back and everything yeah. for golf? Yeah, I'm just getting old. So we got a little anti-inflammatory shot in between a couple of vertebrae and... Now I feel like I'm about 50 instead of 60. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, I texted you last night. I told you we're going to have uh, Norm Lacombe on uh, at 10 o'clock, an old teammate of yours. So uh, what about Norm? You must have a couple of stories. And what kind of teammate was Norm? Well, you know what? Norm is awesome. I mean, obviously, everybody knows Norm is the, the fitness guy. Well, so, and that might be an understatement of it. Yeah. But no, Norm is that good old-fashioned hard work guy. I mean, very blue-collar, up and down his wing, and very smart hockey-wise. Um, whenever Norm would come out to some uh, media hockey events, he wouldn't—he didn't wear any equipment, but it looked like he was in full gear. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny part about Norm. He, he's always looks like he's in full gear, but no. Yeah. I, it's interesting. He was the opposite of me. I wasn't a big fitness guy. Normie is the big fitness guy. So we've had some laughs over that over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant Fears, our co-host on Mondays on the Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440. So as camp gets underway here, how were you the type of guy that played your way in, or how did you come to, to camp uh, back in the day? What was it like for you? Uh, you know what? I like to take summers off to give the body a rest. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd probably start skating about a week before camp, maybe skate three or four times, and then – you work your way into it. You want to be on top of your game come game one. So I enjoyed playing every exhibition game. I mean, Slats was nice enough to let me play a lot of exhibition games. So I like to play as many exhibition games as I could. So you got a feel for everything. And you just got better and better as the year went on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got a text for Grant Fuhr, our co-host on Tuesday, send it in at one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. 1440 Grant, the news of the week in the NHL has been Mike Babcock. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it with you, but I need to get your perspective on it. What have you thought about the last week, uh, culminating, I guess, with what happened Sunday and then some comments yesterday? Uh, you know what? It's been interesting. How's that? Mm-hmm. I, I understand that a coach wants to know his players and such, but there's also a gray, a gray line that you can't step over. 
And I think once you start going through people's phones and such, you step over that gray line. But then again, also as players, you want the coach to know you, you want, you want to know the coach. So it's not a thin gray line. It's a fairly thick gray line. And the modern day athletes a little bit different than the older athlete. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is all of a sudden feelings and such have crept into the game and, yeah, did he step over the line? No question. He stepped over the line. But at the same time, you need to have thick skin as well, especially if you're going to be successful in the game. I think a lot of the people were saying that there's such a difference between the young guys coming in and having this ass to them. Guys like like just we've been using the name Adam Fantilli, you know, an 18, 19-year-old as, as opposed to a 30-year-old. So how do you look at that dynamic, say, you know, players that are 10 years difference or so in age? Well, you're going to have a big difference. I mean, obviously, an older, established veteran will think less about it, whereas a young guy, you want to be comfortable coming in and you want to be welcome coming in, and that's going to unnerve a young guy. I mean, I was lucky enough. I played in an era where we didn't have social media, so you didn't have to worry about anybody going through your phone. So it wasn't even a thought. But at the same time, I understand it if it's in a team concept and it's happening to everybody and it's happening in the rink. But if you're outside the rink, and it's a gray area that I wouldn't go near. Mm-hmm. Did you have coaches, um, did they call you into the office um, and say, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better? So did you have like a meeting? How did that <laughs> I had a, work? I had a regular seat in Glenn's <laughs> office. <laughs> yeah. And how did that go? You know what? I played for some old school coaches. Glenn was very old school. John Muckler was very old school. John Tortorella. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you you got the up close and personal. It wasn't a matter they were going through your phone. They were going to go through your head instead. Mm-hmm. So I, I've seen it both ways where I've played for guys that were really easy to play for. I played for guys that wanted to know more about you. Brian Sutter was that way, yeah. where they want to know what you're thinking. So, I mean, if you go to a job interview nowadays, they're looking through your social media. So if you're looking through your social media, do you have something to hide if it's that's the thing you have to worry about. And mm-hmm. everything you do now is recorded. That's the other thing. Whereas when we played, probably a good thing that things weren't recorded as they were. But <laughs> you know what? Now you just assume that everything's being recorded. You're on camera at all times. Great comments from uh, Grant Fuhr. So those older coaches that you talked about, what were what would be some of the things that they, um, you know, tried to ask you or did ask you that were trying to get you to maybe open up so you could kind of foster that relationship? You know what? Glenn and I sat down and talked about a little of everything. Mm -hmm. He wanted to know what you were doing at night. He wanted to know who you were hanging out with. He wanted to know the last time you talked to your parents. And it was almost like a fatherly figure Mm -hmm. where if he didn't think it was right, you caught it on the chin. And that's just the way the game was at that time. Muck was the same way. John Tortorella was the same way. They're hard on you. But at the same time, you have to understand there's a reason they're hard on you. They want you to be a better person. They want you to be a better player. Do you think players from back in the day take would take that a little different or a lot different than players today? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely a gap between players of yesteryear and players of today. I mean, obviously, back then, if a coach didn't like anything about you, you got replaced. But all of a sudden, you're making $10 million. Well, the team probably wants to know a lot about you. The, play, the coaches definitely want to know a lot about you. The players like to keep things private. 
So there, there's that great line that there has to be a little bit of give and take on both sides. Text line one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. This comes in from uh, Egan. Uh, lots of Columbus players are on the young side with mostly rookies, so it felt like Babcock wanted to do what he did in Toronto. So, um, nah, this one from Team Dean. It's great to have Grant Fear tell it like it is. Today's athlete and society in general, thin-skinned. Uh, that comes from Team Dean. So we're seeing both sides. We're seeing all sides of this. Uh, but I think in the in the big picture, Grant, I think you'd agree that Columbus had to make these necessary steps. So how wh- what would be the mentality going forward with uh, the dressing room, players uh, moving forward with a, uh, a new coach, and they thought that they would have Mike Babcock for, for this year and probably years to come. What's the mindset of the player in Columbus going forward? Well, it's either going to go one of two ways. They're either going to band together and become a very close team, or you're going to have separated factions in the dressing room. So it's going to be an interesting situation to watch. As as a new young coach, you're kind of stuck in a hard spot because now you're picking up the pieces. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see as they go forward how that team bands together. If they get off to a tough start, what happens? If they get off to a great start, what happens? So it's it's opened up a lot of variables. Um, Pascal Vincent comes in. So h- how does he address the team in the early going here as camp gets underway this week? Well, I think he has to come in and establish what he wants to do. I think that's the biggest thing going forward is that he wants he'll come in and I'm sure they'll have some meetings and he'll establish what he thinks, what his ground rules are, and they'll move forward with that. I mean, that's all he can literally do is he's going to establish the way he wants to be. And mm-hmm. personally, I don't know him, but I'm going to assume that he's a player's coach and that, yeah, they'll have some discipline, but at the same time, hopefully they have kind of that open door where the players and coach can communicate. Grant Fears, our uh, Tuesday morning co-host on the Kevin Carey show, sports 14, 49 to 11. Uh, looking for a decent day today, about 17 degrees. So looking forward to getting out golfing at the Glendale a little bit later. Uh, today uh, at 9:20, Grant, we're going to have on uh, Carmen DeFalco from ESPN 1000 in Chicago. So you played many games in Chicago, um, specifically at the old Chicago Stadium. What do you remember about playing in that building in particular that uh, was so fascinating and, and such a rush? Well, I think the biggest thing was the crowd. I mean, the old Chicago Stadium, everybody sat right on top of you. They drowned the organ out during the national anthem, which was always pretty cool. But no, I, I like the fact it was a smaller building and everything happened fast. Mm-hmm. What about um, playing the Hawks at that time? Uh, you guys had some great, great series with them um, and some great rivalry at the time. What do you remember about playing those Chicago teams? They were good. Mm-hmm. And you had Denny Savard, Al Secord, Dougie Wilson was there for a while. I, they they could score some goals, but at the same time, we could score some goals. So it, not exactly defensive series. <laughs> Actually, I think the series again, one series against Chicago might still be a record. There was like, it seemed every game was 9-7, wasn't it? Yeah, a couple of 9-7s. I think there was an 11-5 or an 11-6. So yeah, there was no shortage of goals. How's that? Yeah, Fan, yeah. fan seven. They sure did. What was, I, just a quick sidebar. I think when you were playing in Toronto, Felix Potvin was your backup. That's correct. Yep, I had cat there. Yeah, um, and I think didn't he tell the story about um, 
I think you got the hook and it was, uh, or maybe you didn't even get the hook, but it was like uh, the score was, I mean, maybe it led in eight or nine goals. And I think the cat, what did, he said something to you. And what was your reaction? If you remember? Uh, oh, you might be talking about the Boxing Day game in Pittsburgh. Okay. I think we got shelled 11-1 and I got to hang out for all 11. Okay. So, uh, I think, and, and then, yeah, go ahead, Grant, sorry. So I, there's a lot of things you could say, but... <laughs> Some shouldn't be on air. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other one, too, maybe it was a different game, but he said, oh, man, Grant, you know, it t- must be tough that, you know, that you, you led in a lot of those goals. And you said, man, if it wasn't for me, it would have been about 13 or 14 that I let in. You know, or yeah, it's probably scored. the same game. It's probably it's, the same game. So that was in that was in Pittsburgh? It was. When oh. you're getting shelled, you have to have a sense of humor. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, when we uh, when we come back, we're going to hook up with uh, um, Carmen DeFalco. And later on, Grant, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a heads up. I'm going to go over that the, the before we get to probably uh, Norm Lacombe at 10 o'clock. We're going to run down the, the 1988 team. Uh, when you guys won, and John Muckler uh, was the co-coach, Glenn Sather was uh, head coach, and Ted Green was there. But I want to run down that 1988 team um, just because it was such a, a special season and obviously the last Stanley Cup that Wayne Gretzky won here. What I was going to do is maybe just say a player off the team and then get your kind of thoughts and maybe a funny story or, or things like that. So I just wanted to kind of give you the heads up on that. So, um sure. Alrighty, so uh, we're going to go to take a quick break. We'll pump the brakes. Uh, when we come back, we will check in with Carmen DeFalco, ESPN 1000. We'll talk a little bit about Bears football, and maybe you can uh, talk about uh, Jim McMahon with him. I mean, your relationship with Jim. And uh, obviously, uh, Connor Bedard, uh, man, uh, taking uh, Chicago by storm in the early going in, in uh, preseason and camp and things like that. This is the Kevin Carey Show with co-host Grant Fear on Sports 1440. All right, welcome back to the big program, 919 in the Capital Region. Uh, looking for a high of 17 today. Uh, pretty good week coming up as we, uh, man, hockey season's right upon us. Uh, we're going to bring in uh, Carmen DeFalco from ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Uh, Carmen, welcome uh, to Sports 1440. You're with Kevin Carries and our co-host on Tuesdays, and I think you'll be excited to hear this, Hockey Hall of Famer, Grant Fuhrer. I am excited to hear that. I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I heard that actually because uh, as a young sports fan growing up in the '80s here in Chicago, I still uh, you know Edmonton used to beat the crap out of the Hawks <laughs> when I was a kid, but I was kind of too young to really know better. I just loved Gretzky and Grant Pierre and Messier and Paul Coffey and the entire crew. So. I think I used to annoy my dad a little bit with that, that I sort of like would privately cheer for Edmonton. But uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on with Grant for sure. Grant, you got to be happy about this. (laughs) You know what? The more fans I can get, the better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can never have too many. That's true. Hey, hey, Carmen, were you able to go to any games in the 80s in the old Chicago Stadium to watch? I did, yeah. So my dad used to take me and my brothers a lot. It's... um, you know, my like my first memories of being a sports fan were being around hockey and um, being around the old stadium. Uh, the Hawks, you know, the Hawks were had a lot of. I mean, they had good teams in the eighties. Mm-hmm. They really did when I was little. And Savvy and that crew and uh, and Larmer and I mean, I, I love those teams. Like I said, they they ran into the buzzsaw that was uh, that Edmonton dynasty a couple of times in the playoffs. But that's kind of where I, I really fell in love with sports. I fell in love with hockey. I fell in love with Gretzky because my dad would take me. 
quite often. So yeah, I have I have very fond memories of uh, of that, and it's made me sort of pursue, um, you know, uh, made me pursue a, a career and a life in uh, in sports because I wasn't good enough to play at a high level, but I could talk about it for sure. Oh, that's pretty exciting uh, for sure. Uh, Carmen DeFalco from ESPN One Thousand in Chicago joins us now. So Carmen, is there a, a buzz with Connor Bedard? Uh, how big is the buzz uh, moving forward with the Hawks this season? Well, there is. I mean, I think people are excited, uh, even if, you know, you're not a diehard hockey fan and if you hadn't known too much about him before the Hawks won the lottery, before uh, the draft and everything. I mean, it's, it's these days it's pretty easy to come across um, young phenoms and young talent because of uh, everything that's available via YouTube and social media. I mean, you can't avoid the clips if you're any kind of a sports fan at all. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he put on a show over the weekend in the Prospects game. I mean, that was mm-hmm. impressive. So that stuff has gone viral. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, listen, the diehard Hawks fans, the diehard hockey fans are certainly excited. Um, you know, this time of year, it, it really is all football here, even even when the Bears uh, stink, as they often do. I mean, it, it's really it's really the only thing uh, that, that people talk about. The Cubs are, are pushing for the playoffs, too, so that's sort of, Right there, uh, that kind of pushes the Bears a, a little bit in terms of coverage and in terms of appeal. But nothing's quite like the Bears here. Nothing's like football. And considering where we are in the calendar and with uh, the Cubs, in all likelihood, although their their grip on a playoff spot is much more perilous than it was just five, six, seven days mm-hmm. ago. Um, with those two things right now, hockey's still a little bit on the back burner. Um, I think once the season gets going, uh, you know, especially if he does something thrilling and exciting in those first handful of games. The Hawks have a bunch. I don't know the exact number off my head, top of my head right now. I'd have to go back and look. But yeah. they got a handful of, like, national. Uh, the league obviously wanted to make sure that they highlight him and highlight what they hope is the return of the Hawks. So they've got a bunch of national games, I think, in the first couple of weeks of the season. So um, that'll that'll get people a little bit juiced up for it. But, you know, hockey and basketball here, really until late in the NFL season, always kind of take a back, or, you know, always sort of mm-hmm. take a back seat to things. Hey, Grant, what do you see when you watch Connor Bedard? You know what I see? A kid that's got a ton of talent. I mean, seeing the highlights from the Prospects game, he's got a phenomenal release on his shot. And it reminds me a little bit of Brad Hall, the way he releases the puck. And he can release it in traffic. He can release it out of traffic. And he always gets himself in good position. I think that's the big thing is goal scorers get themselves in great position to get shots off. And that's what I saw a lot of from Connor. Will he be able to get that shot off? Uh, you know, everything's quicker, everything's uh, up a notch. Will he be able to do that at the NHL level? Uh, you know what? He'll have more trouble getting it off. But at the same time, talented players always find a way. And I think that's the big thing. And you watch him through junior and such, he always seems to find a way. And teams know that he's got the great shot. Teams know that he's going to try and do that. So they're going to probably try and cheat towards him. But they've done that with Alex Shovetskin as well. Mm-hmm. They've cheated towards him and such, and he still seems to find a way, and good goal scorers do that. Grant Fear, Carbon DeFalco from uh, ESPN 1000 in Chicago, guesting on the um, Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440. Uh, Carbon, you you were talking about the Oilers in the 80s when you went to the games, and Grant and I were uh, talking about that uh, just before you came on. 1985, Clarence Campbell Conference Final. Six game series. Here are the scores. Yeah. <laughs> 11 2. <laughs> 11 2 Oilers. 7 3 Oilers. 5 2 Hawks. 8 6 Hawks. 10 5 Oilers. 8 2 Oilers. 
Uh, defensive hockey. <laughs> it was defensive hockey, yeah. I mean, is it any wonder if it was easy to fall in love with hockey as a kid back then? I mean, with scores like that, you didn't know any better. When I, I mean, I was eight years old, uh, nine years old, and you didn't know. Uh, you, you know, you, you didn't care about defensive hockey or old time hockey. Like it was when there's there's ten, fifteen goals a game. That was what was exciting. I mean, it made. Um, it made me fall in love with the sport. It made me fall in love with the players that could that could score, um, and that's what was so great about it. I mean, that it is incredible to hear that. I mean, you'll never see stuff like that again. But hockey in the eighties was great. Who are your I favorite? Go ahead, that. Grant. Yeah, go ahead, Grant. Yeah, no, I agree with Carmen on that. It was a fun time to play. I mean, defense was kind of an afterthought. Which, hey, they you only have to win by one. They don't care if it's ten nine or whether it's two one. The fans enjoy 10-9 games just as much as a good 2-1 game. So it was a fun era to play in. Uh, Denny Savard had 105 points uh, that season. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Grant, do you remember the play with Denny Savard and Kevin Lowe kind of? We Hell no, I've seen it. I've seen it enough times to remember it pretty yeah. well now. Yeah. A little spinorama. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Again, that's what again that drew you to hockey, Carmen, and and made you a lifelong fan. So um, hopefully, we can see a little more of that um, with the Blackhawks moving forward. Just a kind of a serious question: has has that healing process continued with the Kyle Beach scandal and everything that happened with the organization? Or are, are we able to kind of move forward a little bit with with Chicago yeah. and the Hawks? Yeah, I think as time, you know, passes, you, you tend to, I think there is always a little bit more, there's a little bit more healing, I guess, and there's, as, 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 as the gap grows, um, I don't want to say people forget, because that's, that's not right, and that's, that shouldn't be the way we view it, but I think as, as, you know, the Hawks, like, went through major changes trying to distance themselves from all of that, um, especially within their front office. Um, I mean, they really tried to pivot away from that as much as they could, and they removed a lot of people that they thought were responsible for some of the breakdowns and what had gone wrong there. And so, you know, with those changes and as time moves on and as different players kind of cycle through, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there is a little bit of healing and uh, – People, people have moved on from it a little bit, but you know it, 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 it's it's tough because you don't want to ever say, "Well, forget," because you should learn from those things and make sure they don't happen in your organization again. They shouldn't happen to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, it, it's it's a it, it's it's like this fine line that I think we all walk, whether we're doing what we do in the media and doing talk shows about it or as a fan, as an organization, like what's the proper way to handle it? How do you move on? How do you help people heal? But, you know, I think they've, they've tried to be mindful of that with a lot of the changes that they have made. And I think they feel like they've got a little bit of a reset here now with Connor, with mostly new players. There's really, there's that's it. I mean, now that, you know, Taves is, um, is not going to be back here in Chicago. I mean, yeah. you've talked about moving on from uh, everybody that was part of, of that great dynasty. And, they really, I think they internally feel like they, uh, obviously, like they, they won the lottery, you know, both literally and figuratively, and and they're grateful for that. And they're just they're they're restarting this whole thing uh, with the new front office, with new people in charge, and and with Connor Bedard. Mm, for sure, uh, our guest uh, on the Kevin Carey show with uh, co-host Grant Fear. 
is Carmen DeFalco, ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Uh, let's uh, switch gears a little bit, uh, guys, and move over to the Chicago Bears. Uh, before we get your thoughts, uh, Carmen, um, on where the Bears are right now moving forward, uh, Grant, go back and we discussed uh, your relationship with one of the, well, one of the greatest Bears quarterbacks in the history of the game. Uh, touch on that and maybe shed a little light on that for Carmen as well. Yeah, uh, Jim McMahon and I have been good friends for going on uh, 30 years and change. How's that? We won't say exactly how long, but no, I mean, probably the last time the Bears won, I believe, 85. Yeah, so that's correct. So so in thinking in that context, Justin Fields is kind of the next big deal for the Bears. What's happened to the Bears so far this year? Uh, he, you know, look, there's a lot, guys. I mean, this is still sort of a, a rebuilding team. I mean, this is still a franchise that is trying to figure out, like, okay, uh, where are we short on talent and where are we thin? And I think they know some of their limitations, especially on the defensive side of the ball. There was a lot more that could have been done this offseason on that side of the football, but they decided to try to do everything they could to get the answers they need uh, out of this third crucial year from Justin Fields. And it's crucial for a few reasons. I mean, obviously you just want to, you want his development to continue and you're hopeful that he is the quarterback of the future, but they also have to decide on his fifth year option at the end of this year, uh, if they're going to pick that up or not. That's why this third year for young quarterbacks is always so important. They went about the business of doing almost everything they could to try to eliminate the excuses uh, and, you know, they, they brought in, uh, they made the trade for DJ Moore. They brought in a free agent tight end. They kind of upgraded some of the position, uh, some of the talent in their uh, running back room. Uh, they made uh, a right guard one of their priority free agents. That hasn't worked out so well because of some personal things with Nate Davis, but uh, it was still one of the, it was the first thing they did on day one back in the early spring of free agency. They used the 10th overall pick on a right tackle. So, they, they put a lot of their resources into the offensive side of the football. Because of that, they're still very thin, especially across their defensive line. So when you ask what's gone wrong in these first couple of games, their stop unit still is not very good. They really struggle to generate pressure, especially when they don't manufacture it with the blitz. They're, they're down line and they're front four. They, they just can't generate uh, a lot of pressure. They've got young players on that line, and they don't really have any difference makers uh, other than maybe Anik Ngakwe, who they signed very late in camp. They just don't have difference makers uh, across their front four, and I think it's why they're going to continue to struggle in games. They're going to continue to uh, they're going to continue to struggle to stop teams. Um, you know, so that's a part of the problem that has contributed to an 0-2 start. If you flip it onto the offensive side, where they did spend a lot of their their uh, resources in the offseason, that hasn't been particularly good either. Justin mm-hmm. still has struggled. Uh, not saying that he can't figure it out. He's got 15 weeks left to do it. But uh, as the data sample builds and we continue to see a lot of the same struggles, his failures to read defenses and to hold on to the ball too long, it's a little problematic and it's a little concerning. Uh, They have not done much on either side of the ball. uh, And uh, they let Baker Mayfield and that Bucs offense do almost anything they wanted for much of the game on Sunday in Tampa. And as a result of that, an offense that struggles to score and a defense that struggles to, to put a lot of pressure on the opposing quarterback and get stops, uh, that leads up to 0-2, guys. It's as simple as that. Carmen DeFalco, ESPN 1000 in Chicago is our guest. Um, Chase Claypool, the Canadian, caught a touchdown in Tampa. Is there room for him to kind of find his way in the Chicago offense? There is. Uh, he just has to continue to do it. I mean, it was a step in the right direction on Sunday. He was much better 
uh, it was so bad in week one, guys. There was serious talk, and I think there was some serious contemplation in that building about making him inactive in week two. Now, I think they this is a, a, a front office and a coaching staff that, uh, by and large, plays it pretty close to the vest. They're, they're, you know, they're, they don't have the skins on the wall of Sean Payton, let's mm-hmm. say. Or, you know, Sean Payton's got no problem calling out his players publicly. Um, he's done it for a while. Uh, he's got, like I said, he's got the skins to be able to do it. Uh, Matt Eberflus, this coaching staff, this regime a little bit different. They, they've walked about as close to the line as they're ever going to get to publicly calling out a player. Now, maybe some of that was just to see how he would respond. Uh, and, and he did respond. I, you know, I think we're still setting a pretty low bar for a former, you know, second-round pick that was terrific as a rookie and has just really failed to recapture that magic from that rookie year four years ago in Pittsburgh. His career has very much gone the other way. Um, you know, so he's got he, he's got time and he's got a chance to do that, Kev. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he's talented. I mean, he's a big – when you stand next to him, you're like, come on. I mean, he's a big, yeah. strong, physically imposing dude. He runs like the wind, but he doesn't really seem to play to his size and his capabilities. And, uh, you know, it was a positive step um, in, from week one to week two. Let's see if he can continue to build on that. But – he just—it's still, I think, a far cry from the, the player that the Bears were hoping mm-hmm. they were getting when they made that trade for him. And they remember they traded uh, what was uh, the 32nd overall pick. You know, it was the, the first pick of the second round, but there um, there was not a, a 32nd pick uh, last year. I think it was Miami, if I'm remembering correctly. Now they had a forfeit its first rounder as a penalty for uh, a rules violation. So, you know, he was the first pick of the yeah. second round, which was the 32nd overall pick. That's, that's what the Bears traded um, uh, to to Pittsburgh in that deal. So uh, it turned out to be, uh, you know, it, it's a trade that doesn't look good on Ryan Poles' mm-hmm. resume right now, that's for sure. I think he needs to get nastier and get uh, battle level, yeah. raise that. If he can do that again with all his physical tools, I think he's going to be okay. Uh, one last one for you, Carmen DeFelco, and it's going to be basketball related, but I'll throw it to Grant first. So, Grant, when you were playing, we talked about all the great games with the Blackhawks in the 80s. So how much did you follow You know, the Bulls in the 80s? That must have been a, a, a neat time to, for you kind of playing. Maybe did you go to any Bulls games when you guys were in Chicago and things like that? You know, I was lucky enough. They had some guy that wore 23 who wasn't too bad. So, no, we got the opportunity to watch him a little bit, got the opportunity to meet Michael a few times. So, no, you you had to be a Bulls fan back in the 80s. I think that was the fun part is they were good. Yeah, what was that like meeting Michael Jordan for you guys? You know, for me, it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, I... Growing up in a small town in Canada, you get a chance to meet Michael. I get to play with Wayne get to know Jimmy Mack. I mean, you get to meet some special athletes and you look at them as being superstars and you strive to try and be like them. Hmm. Thoughts on that, Carmen? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Grant's right. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be around uh, just being in this business a long time, being around a lot of great athletes, world-class athletes, guys growing up here in Chicago my whole life, guys that I I watched and – you know, kind of idolized as a kid that I've gotten to know. And it does, uh, you know, I, I love sort of, I, I love getting into the, the brain and the mindset of, of world-class athletes, championship athletes, and just the drive, the determination. Um, I love learning about those things, what makes them tick. Um, you know, Michael, I, I haven't uh, uh, been around Michael too much uh, because by the time I got into the business, he was already on to retirement number two. 
Um, I was covering the NBA and the Bulls back in 01 when he, he came back and he played that first ever game with the Wizards at the UC. And it was special to be there um, to see that. But yeah, I mean, as a kid growing up here and, and living that dynasty, I mean, I was, you know, I went to high school in uh, the spring of 1990, uh, you know, got out of college in the fall of 98. I mean, think about the timeline to watch the Bulls win six championships. It was, you know, it was everything you could dream of as a kid to grow up to have not just a great team, but to have, you know, arguably the, 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 the most singularly great, most dominant athlete of the 20th century or maybe of all time uh, in your town. was mm-hmm. it, was, it was a treat beyond belief. And uh, there were glorious times here in the 90s for sure to watch that, that dynasty and to watch Michael. No doubt. A quick one for you. Just uh, what's the outlook for the Bulls this season, Carmen? You know, I, I don't know, guys. I, I don't think it's going to be particularly good. They're sort of stuck in the mud. They, they, have, a, they have a fine enough team, but in the NBA – you know, you guys know how it is. I mean, what does that really get you? Um, yeah. You know, it's not it's not like baseball where great, crazy things happen in October, right? Uh, even, I mean, Grant will tell you, you guys know as well as anybody. I mean, eight seats beat one seat, you know? A goalie stands on his head and a team can rip off a couple of series wins. Um, you know, it just... It doesn't really happen in the NBA. The best players win. Uh, it's been proven over 60 years' worth of... Um, uh, of seasons, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, finals. <clears throat> Sorry, guys, that we've mm-hmm. seen. I mean, the best players win, the best teams win. And the Bulls have a nice enough team. I mean, DeMar's a great player. Um, Zach's a pretty good player. But, you know, this Lonzo injury has really set them back. Uh, they got 30 games out of Lonzo, basically, that, that first year after they signed him. And the poor kid's knee is just uh, it's, it's struggling to, to get back to full health. And he had another procedure here this offseason. That's going to force Lonzo Ball to miss an entire uh, year. It'll be the second straight year he's missed an entire season. That's kind of set them back. You know, they have a collection of good players. They don't have a singularly great player. They don't have a player that can carry them. Uh, they don't have a great player that can help them navigate four rounds of, of playoffs. And because of that, you know, I, they're probably uh, in the playing tournament again, I would think, next year. They're probably somewhere in the, the six to eight range. And, you know, what does that really get you in the NBA at the end of the day? Unfortunately, not much. You know, they're they're a far cry, a cry away from being able to compete uh, with the Celtics uh, of the world right now in the Eastern Conference. Probably even Philly. I mean, Philly's got its own unique set of problems going on with whatever they're going to do with Harden. But still, uh, when you look at the top teams in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference, uh, Milwaukee, uh, potentially Philly, Boston for sure. Uh, the Bulls just don't – they don't stack up with those teams right now. So they're sort of they're, – they're kind of – we always say they're stuck in the middle, which is a tough place to be in the NBA, let's face it. Yeah, I just don't tell the, the eighth seed to uh, Miami over the Bucks, I guess, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It does. It's ha- but it's still – I think it's happened three times in what uh, – I think it's – Not very often, yeah. In the history of the – it's not very often. It's very much an outlier thing. Giannis getting hurt, obviously, yeah. didn't do uh, the Bucks any favors either. Mm-hmm. It's just it's, – it's a rarity. You don't – see it very often you know it did happen to the Bulls once but that was the year uh that Derek got hurt in the first round against the 76ers the Bulls were a one seed Philly was an eight seed but Derek got hurt uh in that what was that that was the first game of that series if I'm remembering correctly Derek got hurt by the end of that series Joe Kim Noah was also hurt so sometimes you can explain it a little bit way when when super when a team loses its superstar but mm-hmm. it's just a it's a very rare thing in the NBA when you see eight seeds beat one seed Hey, Carmen, thanks for this. Appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the uh, upcoming uh, hockey season. That's kind of we'll be uh, checking out with Connor Bedard. I mean, you've got a special player there to watch for a lot of years. 
Absolutely, yeah. And Grant, a pleasure talking to, uh, to you, uh, both of you guys. It was fun. I appreciate it. And anytime you need me, just let me know. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, My pleasure, Carmen. Carmen DeFalco, ESPN 1000 in Chicago. How was the Chicago media to you, Grant, over the years? It was pretty good, huh? Yeah, they were great to me. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of fun building games in the buildings down there. Yeah. And it was a good rivalry. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, we'll um, discuss um, some of the other, um, I guess, high-profile athletes and people that you've met, uh, lucky enough, with the Oilers team over the years uh, when we come back on the Kevin Carey Show with Grant Fear on Sports 1440. All right, welcome back to the big program, 943 in the Capital Region. Kevin Carey, along with Grant Fuhr. Uh, our Tuesday morning co-host uh, from 9 to 11. Uh, you know what, Fierzy, you, you mentioned um, Michael Jordan, what it was like to meet him. Uh, I always wanted to kind of talk with you guys about, uh, you and former teammates from the 80s, about when you you met Muhammad Ali. How did that encounter work, uh, if you can recall exactly when it was and kind of how it transpired and what was that visit like with the champ? Uh, you know what? Probably, well, easily the greatest athlete. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the fun part. And it would set up through Mess's uncle, I believe Larry Messier. Okay. Set it up for us where we get a chance to go to Muhammad Ali's house in L.A. and spend some time with him. And just to talk to a man like that about his experiences in life and sport in general, It's as a kid growing up watching him, it's pretty cool. It was an off day, I assume. Uh, did you guys just take the bus out there? How, how did that work? Or like, what was the whole experience uh, when you went to his place in L.A.? Yeah, if I remember correctly, we did take the bus. Mm-hmm. And that was the great thing about our club is we did everything as a group. I, mean, I think that was the fun part is we all get to experience it at the same time. We're all just kids at that time. Yeah. So it, it's a great learning experience. Grant Fuhr, if you've got a question for him, one 401 1440 So... Um, was he training or doing anything like that? Was he just kind of lounging around? Did he joke around with the guys? What was that uh, experience in that sense? I was, he was retired at that time, oh, okay. but at the same time, a great sense of humor. That was the fun part. He joked around with the guys. He joked around a lot with Samank. I mean, it, just to be around an athlete like that, that's world-class, mm-hmm. to listen to him, to kind of pick up things on the way he thought about life and sport and it helps you grow as a young man did he with dave Semenko? there's been some great pictures uh, i think that uh, you've probably seen what was that interaction like with uh, your heavyweight champ uh, you know it was fun they had the little exhibition boxing match and it was actually pretty entertaining for a guy that was a little older and retired it's still pretty quick. I mean, I think that's the big thing that people don't realize. Heavyweights don't look that fast. Mm-hmm. They're fast. They're yeah. big, they're strong, they're fast. So what was that exhibition uh, little boxing match with Semenko? Uh, I mean, what was that like to kind of witness that? Oh, it was fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the great thing is you get to see a guy like Ali in a ring in his element which you could see he just controls it. Mm-hmm. And that was the fun part about it. And it didn't matter if Samank wanted to hit him. It was a matter of whether he would let Samank hit him or not. 
So he was kind of he was prancing around and dancing quite well. I mean, did he look like uh, like? Do you think if if Semenka ever got a hold of him or whatever, did you think he could kind of maybe? He was probably trying to grab a sweater or something like that. I guess the old hockey fight uh, uh, strategy. But uh, what was the reaction from the rest of the teammates too? I think we all enjoyed it. I mean, I think everybody in Edmonton enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. Any other athletes that, uh, you know, over the course of the years uh, when you were playing, especially in the 80s? Again, you guys were, I mean, basically hockey royalty. You guys, when you, whenever you went to the, to the major markets, and it was a big deal when you guys came to town. When you met other um, teams, players, uh, maybe in New York, uh, anything kind of come to mind with that? Uh, you know what? I've been lucky. I've got a lot of really good friends that were stars in different sports. I mean, I get to spend a little time with Crane Griffey Jr., with Larry Walker, both great baseball players. I get to spend some time with Charles Barkley, great basketball player. Obviously, I get to spend a lot of time with Jimmy Max, so it, Richard Dent. I mean, you get to see a lot of the different athletes that were stars in their sports. We're all kind of around that same age right mm-hmm. now. They might be a hair older than I am, but <laughs> just a touch. at the same time, they've become friends over the years, and it's fun to hang out with them. I mean, we get a bunch of them to come down here to my golf tournament and it's a chance to catch up and it's special when they come and support you. Uh, at 1020, we're going to have Jeff Fletcher from the Orange County uh, Register. He'll be talking a lot of baseball. You played a lot of baseball when you were a young kid, right? Um, what did you I like? I got a fair, yeah. fair amount of games in. Yeah, what did, what did you like? What drew you to the game? Uh, you know what? That's what you did in the summer. I mean, I enjoyed playing sports. And that was my way of staying in shape and I played baseball right up until about my third or fourth year pro till Glenn overruled it. (laughs) So, but no, I've always loved baseball. I love playing the game and it was a great way for me to keep the hand eye sharp because I like to play catcher as well, Mm -hmm. which I think Glenn frowned on a little bit, but at the same time for me, it was another way to stay in shape and it was a good way to stay competitive. Where were you playing? In, so you're a couple of years a pro. Where were you playing at that time when you're whatever, 21 years old? Where were you playing? I was playing for the Barhead Cardinals at that time. <laughs> the Barhead Randy Gregg, Cardinals. Actually, talk, Randy Gregg was playing for the Edmonton Tigers in the, in the same league, oh, the senior men's league. What a great story. I bet a lot of people don't know that. Oh, I get hauled into the office one day because I sprayed an ankle stealing a base. And I got the uh, rundown. I wasn't being paid to play baseball. Oh, man. Oh, so and, that was the end of the baseball career. So uh, what was that senior experience like? I mean, I, I mean, Randy Griggs, a massive baseball player, a, bas- a baseball uh, aficionado, you know, uh, with the Edmonton Riverhawks now and everything. But so what was that senior experience like? You know, it was great baseball. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And there's a lot. There's a few guys in that league that played for the Canadian national team, and mm-hmm. it, it was a it was serious baseball, which but it was also fun, and it's just what we like to do, and it was a great way to stay in shape at that time. How many games a year did you like? How many games was it in the summer then? What What do you remember? Uh, pretty much from the time hockey season ended, we'd jump right into baseball, and I would run it right through till September, so right into the middle of training camp. And you were a catcher. And I was catching at that time. So not, and you're obviously a right-handed catcher. Not many right-handed catchers going on, is there? Yeah, probably none. You're probably so the we're only a little, one. A little backwards there, and every now and then we play a little bit of first base, a little bit of center field. So, but my love is behind the plate. Oh man, um, what kind of hitter were you? 
Uh, more of a contact hitter. Mm-hmm. It was all about running. I, mean, I could run. It was reasonably fast. So if I could get a ball somewhere in play, it gave me a chance. <laughs> so I, I, I just can't. I, I, I would love to be in the office when Slat says uh, no more baseball. What did you say? Yeah, there's not a whole lot you get to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool it's, stuff. Yeah. It was one of those we just kind of, we were overruled. How's that? Yes. So Randy, same thing. Randy Gregg said no more baseball for you? I, you know what? I don't know with Doc. I mean, when I couldn't play baseball anymore, I played one year of fastball, and then I get summoned back to the castle again to have it explained to me that fastball is no different than baseball. Where were you playing fastball? I, the Edmonton Men's Fast Pitch League. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, uh did you play after you kind of retired or what, or did you play any slow pitch or anything like that? No, nah, once we packed it in, we decided to take golf up. So, <laughs> Oh man. So who were some of the baseball players that you enjoyed? You said you mentioned Larry Walker, but even growing up and again, uh, when we have uh, uh, Jeff Fletcher on from Orange County Register, um, he's basically kind of followed Shohei Otani uh, since he came to the Angels. What, so first, what do you think of Otani? And we'll talk about this with Jeff a little bit later, but just touch touch base with, with Shohei Otani. What a phenomenal three years he's had. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunate that he got hurt, but at the same time, to be that good a pitcher and that good a hitter. I mean, usually you get either or. Mm-hmm. You don't get both, where you've got a guy that can play every day. So the three years that he's had doing both, says a lot for the talent that he is um what he's done it's you know we've never ever seen it uh i mean it it totally blows away what babe ruth did you know a hundred years ago so um it's he i don't know what he's what his future holds but i mean he's gonna get paid an awful lot still uh no matter what um how much do you follow baseball now and like, what do you do? You follow the wild card races, pennant races. What? Do you, how, how are you at with that? Uh, you know what? I'll follow it as we get closer to the playoffs. Yeah. You start to follow some of the pennant races. You start to follow the wild card. But over the course of 162 games, the first half of the season, I don't really pay that much attention. Mm-hmm. Um, do you get to go? When's the last time you went to a ball game? And do, have you gone? What would you say your favorite parks are? Ah, uh, it's been a while since I've gone to a ball game. I mean, obviously, Angel Stadium is a pretty good place to go watch a ball game. Yeah. Um, I still enjoy watching the Jays. I mean, if we're in Toronto, I try and sneak over and catch a game there. Where else have I gone? San Francisco's got a pretty good ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Houston's got a great ballpark. Been lucky enough to be there a couple of times. So I try and pop into as many places as I can. Obviously, Red Stock, Fenway's yeah. a pretty special spot. Uh, were you ever able to go to the old Yankee Stadium? I did not. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of opportunities and just never went, and I wish I would have. Oh, that's what everyone says. I wish we wish I would have. Uh, so, been at Fenway, uh, and the, uh, one of my favorites is Wrigley. Have you ever had the chance to go to Wrigley? I've been, been lucky enough to go to Wrigley half a dozen times or so. Oh, man. Well, we're going to talk a lot of baseball coming up at 1020 with uh, Jeff Fletcher from the Orange County Register. Uh, coming up at 10 o'clock will be your old teammate, Norm Lacombe. I wish you'd come into the studio here. Maybe uh, the Duke of Delburn would, uh, will uh, twist wrists uh, for a dollar with him. Uh, how do you think that would go over? <laughs> uh, probably well for Normie. <laughs> Not too well for the Duke, that's for sure. Um, all right, uh, before we go to uh, break, here is the Duke with a sports update.